0: A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N Podsurvey.com Art of Man Thanks for your help Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast According to some estimates only 5% of people in the West get the recommended amount of daily physical activity Is the solution getting a fitness tracker, developing more discipline, or buying a piece of cardio equipment for your basement? My guess would say none of the above. Would have you think about kids playing at recess instead. Daryl Edwards is the founder of the Primal Play Method. Today on the show, we discuss the epidemic of sedentariness which besets both adults and children and why technology and willpower isn't the cure. Daryl then explains why a better solution to getting more movement and physical activity in our lives is rediscovering the intrinsically motivating pleasure of play. He offers suggestions on how to do that, including compiling a play history for your life, embracing primal movements that will get you moving like an animal and a child, and getting over the fear of looking goofy while doing so. We discuss the joys and health benefits of exploring your capabilities and environment and how to incorporate more movement into your busy adult life by making even regular activities more playful. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash primalplay. All right, Daryl Edwards, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Brett. So you are a former investment banker technologist turned movement coach. That's quite the change there. What led you to making that transition?
1: Yeah, it was really a a switch that was fueled by a personal health scare. You can't really put a price on well-being. And even though I was working in a very lucrative environment, a meritocracy, for sure. It became evident that a sedentary lifestyle led to a direct negative impact on my health. So I I was subject to an annual health check, and this health check told me I was pre-diabetic, very close to full-blown type 2 diabetes. I had significant hypertension, so high blood pressure, elevated blood pressure, and I was also dealing with a poor lipid profile. So basically elevated triglycerides, really bad cholesterol profile, which meant I had an elevated risk of a heart attack or a stroke. So that led me to asking my doctor if I could avoid the meds, (laughs) at least temporarily, whilst I investigate a lifestyle change. And that lifestyle change was basically starting an exercise program. Um, I was aware that exercise could help with blood pressure. So I was like, let me at least try and sort out my blood pressure. And before I'm given this cocktail of medication. And so fortunately, my doctor was on board with that. He gave me, you know, one to two months to start a lifestyle transition. And within that time, fortunately, my blood pressure normalized, uh, my lipid profile improved, my blood sugars normalized. So I was no longer in that danger zone and I was no longer needing to take medication. So that was the the sort of the first pivotal point of me questioning what I was doing with my life and the type of work that I was doing, which was very sedentary.
0: Okay, so you started a regular exercise program. What got you into this idea of primal movement? how did you make that shift?
1: Yeah, so... I became very evangelical about movement and physical activity. I joined a gym, you know, hefty uh, membership, (laughs) you know, had the fluffy towels, had the sauna and spa. And I was inspired by watching the making of the movie 300. So uh, this was in the early, early 2000s. And I was inspired by the director speaking about the actors and the stunt men and women training for life. He wanted you as the viewer to believe that these people on screen could move in this way, could fight in this way, not just choreographed, but they actually had the functional capability. So once I realized that movement was beneficial for my health, I had a second thought around, how can I make myself improve functionally? How can I maintain independence as I age? How can I work on a a wide repertoire of movement? So that's when I came across primal, instinctive movement, natural movement. So I pivoted away from a sedentary job and wanting to get more physical activity into my day. I recognized there was a, a crisis of movement. We clearly are in a crisis of movement. We're becoming more sedentary during our days, our working days, when we're back at home, on our commutes to work. And so I wanted to find the minimal dose of movement that was going to give me maximal health benefits. And we're going
0: to talk about what primal movement looks like, natural movement looks like. Before we do, let's just talk about that, pick up where you're talking about, how we're more sedentary in the West today. What is the, the state of physical activity in Western countries? Like how many adults are getting the daily recommended amount of physical activity each day?
1: I mean, it's pretty dismal. So if we look at statistics from the American Heart Association, they show that sedentary jobs have increased 83% since the fifties. We know when we look at the world around us, even within our own lifetimes, the difference between physical activity levels when I was a kid in comparison to now, less reliance on technology, less reliance on labor-saving devices, we can do a lot more in our chairs, right? Because of, of screens. So we've engineered an environment, which means we're less likely to move. We've engineered movement out of our environments. And so in terms of the number of adults meeting the physical activity guidelines for health, so that's 150 minutes of cardiovascular, cardio aerobic activity per week, plus two sessions of resistance training per week. Those are the physical activity guidelines for adults. So when you look at the headline stats, we are looking at about 23 to 33% in various countries in the Western world who are meeting the guidelines, which is poor. But when you take out self-reporting, so in other words, when individuals are tracked to see if they meet the guidelines, then that number reduces to about 5%. So only 5% of adults in the UK, in the US, in other Western countries are meeting the physical activity guidelines. And most of that 5% is actually just meeting the aerobic component. (laughs) So not necessarily the resistance training, the strength training activities. So the numbers are, are likely to be even, even less. And unfortunately this isn't just an adult problem. For children, it's even worse. Only 20% of children globally meet the physical activity guidelines. And when we look at industrialised countries like in the West, you're down to single digits. So anywhere between 5 and 8% of children meet the activity guidelines. So there you're talking about 60 minutes per day of moderate to vigorous intensity physical activity, And, you know, bone building activities such as climbing, you know, doing piggyback rides and and the like. So we really are in a epidemic of physical inactivity. The numbers are getting worse. So post COVID, we're moving even less in a post COVID world. So to give an example of that, I read some research recently talking about the amount of free and supervised play, outdoor play that kids are exposed to nowadays, post COVID. And it's about seven minutes per week. (laughs) Seven minutes per week of you go outside and do whatever you want type of play. So supervised play, supervised sports has taken over meeting, trying to meet the requirements for physical activity for our kids. But unfortunately, Our kids are not doing enough.
0: And what have been the consequences of this increasing sedentary lifestyle?
1: So we have a a significant impact to our health. So it increases the risk of premature death. So all cause mortality, basically any cause of death you can think of, you increase the onset, you increase the likelihood, you increase the severity, being physically inactive or sedentary versus those who meet the physical activity guidelines. And there's an increase in obesity, there's increase in heart disease, there's increase in type 2 diabetes, there's increase in various cancers, and there's a significant health cost globally to our healthcare systems. So it's the kind of uh, poor relation when it comes to lifestyle discussions. You know, there's lots of discussions about diet, people are talking about improving sleep quality you know improving your gut microbiome improving your breathing there are all these kind of interventions which are openly discussed and people maintain that there's a benefit in trying to achieve goals in relation to those areas but when it comes to physical activity it's often overlooked it's certainly very difficult for us to integrate into our very busy lives and so there's a health consequence which can only be reversed by moving more, moving the right types of activities that will reduce the risk of chronic lifestyle disease. Well,
0: in your work, you've talked about some of our responses to this increase in being sedentary. So to help people get moving more. And one thing humans typically do when they have a problem, they first, we typically turn to technology. They're, oh, maybe there's some app or device that can help. How have we looked to technology to get us moving more and has that worked out for us
1: yeah so technology i mean humans are, are driven by convenience so we're constantly thinking of ways to make our lives easier right everything from fire to the wheel to you know the horse and cart i mean you think of all the advances where it comes to making it easier for locomotion so making it easier for us to move making it easier for labor-intensive work, so let's reduce the burden of work that we need to do by making it easier for ourselves. And now in the kind of technological revolution, we now have recognizing the issues around physical inactivity and more screen time, sedentary screen time, we have technology options available to us. So as well as being more sedentary than ever before in human history, we also have more technology available to us than ever before. to attempt to solve this problem of physical inactivity, which sounds fantastic until you look at the evidence. So we have wearables that can track the amount of physical activity we're doing. They can prompt us to move more so they can tell us, Hey, Daryl, you know, you're sitting down for far too long. Why don't you get up and move a bit? Why don't you get up and go for a walk? Why don't you exercise as much as you did last week? Why don't you do your 30 minutes of, you know, outdoor run today? So we have these monitors, these trackables, these wearables that nudge us to hopefully inspire us to more activity. Unfortunately, (laughs) even though they track movement, they don't inspire movement. They don't encourage us to do more. They attempt to do so, but there are two issues with wearable technology. So one is technology tends to stop us in our tracks. So technology we find useful when we are having these devices that are prompting us to move more, we tend to be more interested in the, in the notifications than we are in taking action. So that's the first issue. Secondly, we have a honeymoon period with technology. So interestingly. 50% of all wearable tech purchased is never worn. We buy it, we're enthusiastic about it. We pop it in a drawer somewhere. We never look at it again, then it becomes outdated. For those who do decide to use those devices immediately, there tends to be about a three month honeymoon period where we might be getting excited about what this device can do for us in terms of encouraging more movement. So activity monitors sound like a great idea. But then 50% of those who decide to use those devices for three months don't tend to continue using those devices. So there's a pull to buy newer devices, you know, better technology, less likelihood to actually make better use of those technologies. I'm sure you remember the, the Nintendo Wii, you know, sort of 15 years ago or so. Yeah. This games console had, you know, the Wii Fit. It had this board that you could, you know, could track your body composition and you know, track your weight and you could play all these incredible virtual games, virtual tennis and virtual football. And I remember having fun with my children on this device, but there came a time <laughs> when we just stopped playing it. We did, didn't maintain enthusiasm for this device. And then it's locked away, it's popped into the loft and it just gathers dust.
0: Okay, so technology it could be a tool, maybe a, you know, help slightly, but it's not going to help you completely to get moving again. So th- what we typically turn to next is willpower. And we start talking yeah. to ourselves like a boot camp instructor or a boot camp sergeant, you know, we got to you got to grit it out, man. It's, you know, pain is weakness leaving the body, all that sort of stuff. And you argue, it might work for a little bit, but eventually that doesn't work either. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, willpower. So if we go back to our biology, if we go back what makes our cells thrive, what does our DNA respond to? So we know our cells thrive with regular movements. We know our DNA responds well to movement. We know our mental health responds to physical activity. Our mental health benefits from from physical activity. We We know this. But what does our body, what do our minds tell us? So our mind is constantly telling us it feels good to be sedentary. It feels great in this couch. It feels great resting, relaxing, doing leisurely activities at our desk, at our phone, you know, (laughs) that's what feels good because there's something about conserving energy which had an evolutionary role. So back when we were, our ancestors were hunter-gatherers, we had to be really careful about our energy expenditure. It was vital for survival. So we had to make decisions. You know, right, we need to go and hunt. We need to go and gather food. We need to go and build shelter. We need to make sure we have enough energy reserves to perform those tasks, to be able to recover from those tasks, to be able to sustain ourselves until we can next perform those activities. And so movement was part and parcel of day-to-day life. In the 21st century, Movement is optional. I don't have to go out and hunt or gather my food. I don't have to build my shelter. I don't have to live in a nomadic way where I've gotta you know, walk 15, 20 miles to go from one habitat to the next to maintain my survivorship. So this is the difference between our ancestors and the environment that they were in and the 21st century human who is in a sedentary environment with lots of comfort, with lots of convenience, but our bodies are still telling us, doesn't it feel good not to do anything? Doesn't it feel good to be pampered, (laughs) right? Doesn't it feel good not to have to do this hard physical labor? So this is what our biology and our minds are constantly having to deal with. So when we rely on willpower, right? Imagine again going back to our ancestors, our stone age ancestors. Imagine if they had to wake up every day and go, "Do you know what? I have to try really hard to think about the fact that I need to go hunting today." You know, I need willpower to do this. It wasn't about willpower. It was about necessity. <laughs> right? It was a, it was a it was a necessity. It was essential to maintain survival. It wasn't optional. And so if you rely on willpower, it very easily becomes won't power because there are so many obstacles and barriers in the way of you achieving more movement minutes, right? It could be the time. I don't have enough time. It could be, I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't know what I should be doing. I feel overwhelmed. There's thousands of apps on my phone, you know, give me examples of what I should be doing, but I still don't know what I'm doing. You know, we have more magazines, more literature available than ever before, right? (laughs) But it doesn't help. So there's too much information. We feel overwhelmed. But most importantly, we are hardwired for convenience. And so we have to break ourselves out of this cycle. And willpower is not the way to break out, unless you're one of the very few where you can click your fingers and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this and you get it done. But that doesn't work for the majority of individuals.
0: Okay, so instead of using willpower or technology to help us move more, you recommend injecting more play
1: into our lives. So how can play help us move more? Yeah, so just as we're hardwired for convenience, we're also hardwired to play. So instinctively, we have these ludic, playful genes that now we are very much deprived of. So most of us can reminisce to our childhoods. So for my, mine, for example, was very much about active play. So the majority of my day as a kid was being outside playing, especially during the summer. It was get outside of your home, (laughs) you know, uh, commune with your friends, have fun until you had to eat something. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or your parents said it's time to be indoors. So you were constantly driven to be as playful as possible. And... Society tells us at a certain age, you've got to stop playing. You know, you've got to spend your time focusing on conforming to what society says you should be doing. And you're now at a age where play is no longer acceptable. And if you do play as an adult, either it's professionally, you know, you become a comic or a creative of some description. But apart from that, life is serious. But if you do focus on this playful spirit, what we realize is that there's an intrinsic motivation through play that inspires us to move more. So there are lots of studies on this. For example, there's a study with two cohorts who are performing an afternoon walk over to adults. And the first group are told, we're going to exercise for 30 minutes. We're going to go for a walk, a brisk walk for 30 minutes. And then group two are told, we're just going to go and have some fun this afternoon. (laughs) We're going to have a walk around, you know, and we're going to explore the environment 30 minutes, same duration. And what the researchers found was that the second group, the ones who were inspired by and motivated by fun, where fun was part and parcel of the activity, even though it was the same activity, they walked at a higher intensity. You know, they burnt more calories. There was a brisker walk. There was more conversation, a greater community spirit, but most importantly, there feel good markers. So endorphins and serotonin and dopamine, oxytocin, all of those were elevated above the control group who were just doing exercise for 30 minutes. So just having a playful state enhances creativity, inspires you to want to do more. It reduces stress. It improves social interactions and it also, through this creativity, inspires you to want to find ways to move more. So again, just to to conceptualize this, think about people when uh, they're at a a wedding, right? (laughs) They're at a wedding, the music comes on, they've had a drink and a song they hear that they may have heard in their youth, right? Or they may have heard when they had a crush or something like that they're on a dance floor and they're, they're moving like they probably haven't moved for years. They're not thinking about, Oh my goodness, I'm just doing five minutes of cardio. (laughs) They want to continue, you know, what's the next song? Who else can I get to join me? Right? It's a completely different state of, of, of our physiology. So that's one of the reasons why play is really beneficial and why I believe playing out is a better substitute than working out.
0: Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Yeah. So play can help you move more, but also there's these added benefits. You're just going to feel good and boost your creativity and that can carry over to other parts of your life. So how can we incorporate more playful movement in our daily lives as adults?
1: Yeah. So this is a really difficult question because we almost have to reverse engineer our mindsets as adults. You know, there there are a few strategies that I use with my clients. And one of them is to compile a, a play history, to get my client to roll back along their kind of life timeline, back to when they were a kid and moments in between where, where were you the most playful? What brought you the most joy when it came to physical activity? And once you kind of look back with nostalgia at those activities, what were the most fun? What did you want to continue to play? What did you least complain about when it came to muscle soreness, (laughs) right? Or how awful that felt. What were those activities? And so most individuals have an idea of what that is. And even though we start with childhood, we can still find some of those activities, even when we get into adulthood. And it's enhancing those and making sure they become more prominent in our lives. So for me, when I went back in time, thinking about why do I hate exercise? You know, like why am I struggling to go back to gym on Monday, even though I've had a really good week of exercise? You know, why, why am I really struggling? Why am I procrastinating? I had to ask myself, when did you last really enjoy movement? So as an adult, you know, it was a decade before where I used to go out clubbing and I could dance for hours. You know, (laughs) pretty much, uh, (laughs) you know, energy just came from somewhere. I could just keep dancing as long as the music was good. I had a great time with my friends. I could dance all night, right? I was like, okay, that was fun. I wanted to keep doing it. What else has been fun in my adult life in terms of movement? Playing sports, but not in a competitive way, you know, having a kickabout with my friends, that's lots of fun. But when I, as soon as I joined a league or it became competitive or running like, you know, endurance events at work, it wasn't fun. And I literally just ticked off the things that were fun going right back to my childhood. And one of the things I found as a child was chasing games were great. So playing tag, (laughs) climbing trees. And I was like, I need to try and do those things as an adult. It's as simple as that. I need to climb trees. I need to find people who are happy to play and willing to play tag with me, (laughs) which I did. And then my movement diet, my repertoire of of playful movement increased, you know? So that's what I would suggest as a starting point. Find out what within your play history is something that you would like to repeat now. Something which isn't going to give you too much anxiety, right? (laughs) Too much concern about what are people going to think if I do this? Kids, you know, are a great proxy. So if you've got children... They're a great way for you to access your inner child and kind of, they can get the blame, right? Oh, I'm only doing this as an adult because my kids want me to do this, (laughs) right? So you can ask your kids what they would like to do and hopefully they provide suggestions that you want to take part in. So yeah, those are are probably a, a couple of starting points of how you can start looking back retrospectively, right back to your inner child and think about how you can model some of those behaviors not in a childish way, but in a childlike way. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's an episode of Friends with uh, Phoebe and Rachel who are running in Central Park. And Rachel is really serious. You know, she's running like an athlete. She's got a grimace on her face. She looks very robotic in her movement patterns. And then Phoebe is running like a (laughs) five-year-old. And Rachel's looking down her nose, you know, Going, what, what what the heck are you doing? People are looking at you. Or, you know, you 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 don't you, you look you look silly, you know? And Phoebe's like, actually, you're the one who looks silly. You're not enjoying yourself, you're not having any fun. And many of us are never gonna access our inner Phoebe, right? <laughs> but we can certainly think about activities in the physical activity space that's gonna bring us joy. Yeah, I love thinking about what gave you joy as a child, because
0: it'll probably still give you joy as an adult. And I also like the idea of bringing kids in. So if you're a dad, start playing with your kids, because this is not only going to help you start moving more, but it's going to help your kids move more. Because as we talked about earlier, kids aren't moving.
1: Yeah, kids aren't moving. And as guardians, as parents, as teachers, we model for them. You know, they look to us. They decide what adult life is like. Based on what we do, right? So if we're very sedentary, that's what they're going to be trying to emulate. You know, they mimic the world around them. So the more we model physical activity as part of our day, the less we complain about movement. You know, like, oh my goodness, I had such a hard workout. I now can't take the stairs. I can't move. I'm in pain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the less we model movement in that way and focus much more on the fun. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that great? I want to do this again. And I think as kids, they won't do the same things again if it doesn't bring any joy, right? So they're constantly on this mission of let's explore the world around us. Let me try doing something I haven't done before, right? So it's as simple as that, being more playful, right? It doesn't have to be obvious playful activities. It can be changing your mindset and your attitude to make the activities you perform more playful, if that makes sense. So I have a quote, a mantra that I use all the time, which is that play is not the activity, it's the attitude. So I can go for a walk or go for a run and make those activities much more playful than my former adult, very serious self. I can pay more attention to my surroundings. I can pay more attention to looking at the world around me like... My playground, like my gym. So initially, I was thinking, oh, I need to find playful activities, right? I need to be playing tag all the time. That's the only thing that's going to work for me. That's the only thing that's playful. Whereas, actual fact, you can just modify those activities, even the ones that you're like, oh, I don't really want to do this. But if you can convert those, if you can gamify those in an analog way, not using tech, but you can find ways of gamifying your environment. Another example is, once my partner and I, we're walking down the high street and I suggest, Hey, you know what? Let's race the other people in the street, <laughs> right? Walking. And then it was like, you know, let's, let's, let's gamify this. Let's give ourselves some points. Every time we overtake, we'll give ourselves a couple of points. You know, every time somebody overtakes us, we'll take away five points. If somebody's standing still, we'll only get add ourselves a point. If we overtake them, you know, and we literally walked about three or four miles. <laughs> at quite a brisk pace, not realizing we'd walk that distance until the end, you know, because we were so in the moment and so concerned about stacking up the points <laughs> and being really competitive. And so this this afternoon walk of like, oh, let's just do this because we need to go for a walk became, isn't this a lot of fun, right? And every now and again, we'll play the same game. You know, it's not prescriptive, but changing that activity from something that is not that exciting inherently into one that's more playful. And then you get all of these feel good benefits. You get these dopamine hits, which are natural, you know, you get that natural endorphin rush, which makes you feel good. It helps to relieve pain, which that's one of the benefits of endorphins. They're a pain reliever, not just physically, but also mentally. So once you realize you can achieve the benefits of movement immediately, do you know what I mean? Like a, like a, um, instant gratification. It isn't just the reward that you get after, you know, weeks, months, years of physical activity. You can actually get some of this joy now, right? So, you know, again, think about kids. (laughs) You say to your kids, oh, yeah, do this and, you know, you'll get the benefits at some point in the future. Isn't always that compelling to them, right? They're kind of like, now, now, now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Now, now, now. I want to feel good now. I want it now. And we need to feel the same way I feel about, physical activity. Let me do something now that's going to make me feel great now. But I'm still going to be building these benefits and stacking these benefits for the future. So it's a complete win-win. Yeah,
0: I love the idea that play can start helping you and your kids move more. But I like the idea too of helping your kids see that the environment can be interacted with in ways that aren't typical, right? Because I think we see the environment and say, well, here's a wall We have to walk around the wall or walk through the door of a wall, but maybe you can go over the wall. Why not go over the wall? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Or if there's stairs, you can say, well, you're supposed to just take one stair at a time. We can be like, well, let's see. You can do two stairs at a time. Hey, think, exactly, and I think we've all done that. I've know I've done that as a kid, and I still do it every now and then as an adult. When you're walking in a big building like an airport, and you know there's tile on the floor, and then sometimes you just you turn that tile into a game where you're like, "Well, uh, can I step without stepping on a crack?" Or then it turns into, "Well, can I not step on a crack but get three big tiles in one big bound? Can I do that?" Mm. And like you can do that with your kids. You're going to look silly, maybe but you're gonna get your kids moving and get yourself moving and it's fun.
1: Yeah, and do you know what? I think this looking silly is is mostly envy, actually, from others, of others thinking, I wish I could be as free-spirited as that. I wish I could have just as much fun with my kids as he's doing. So I noticed this when I started going outside, I left my gym, I started going to my local park, and playing in my park. You know, I was balancing on railings. I was climbing trees. I was bear crawling. I was performing all these kind of primal movements in my park. And what was interesting was the amount of people who would stop and stare, but not in the, you know, Oh, maybe we need to call, uh, <laughs> you know, mental health services or, or, or we're really concerned about him. It was, it, it was an interest and the amount of children who would stop when they were the parents and say, kind of like look at their parents and go, hey parents, why aren't you doing, why are you doing what he's doing? He's like a big kid. Why are you not behaving in this way? You know, Why aren't you inspiring me in the same way? And interestingly, that's where I started getting more and more clients. <laughs> so, you know, I was struggling initially to get clients doing regular personal training. And as soon as people started seeing me playing in the park, people would say, well, why are you doing this? I'd say, hey, because it's fun. Okay. Is do you do you teach others this? Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh, I want to I want to do this. I I need permission. And so I gave people permission in my local park to join me and have fun. And then you realize there's kind of wisdom. There's wisdom in the crowd, right? There's wisdom socially and there's more than one of you doing this together. And so it's really interesting observing observing other people. And and I think they realize they're missing, they're missing out. Um, So I I now kind of push the thoughts of others to one side, um, not in a kind of egotistical way. I just feel as if I'm so in the moment and enjoying myself, I don't really have time to be wondering what other people think. And a, a kind of a metaphor analogy that I use is imagine you take, you know, your dog could speak to you, right? You take your dog for a walk, you go to your local park and your dog goes, hey, can I just sit here for a moment? oh, why is that dog? Because I can see some dogs over there playing. They're chasing after each other. You know, they're chasing balls, you know, running after sticks. And, um, I just want to spectate, right? (laughs) I just want to sit here and watch. Of course that wouldn't happen. If the dog could speak to you, the dog would be saying, can you let me off my leash? (laughs) Can you let me go and join in and play with those other dogs? You know, there may be a bit of play fighting, you know, hopefully nothing worse than that but they want to participate. They want to join in. And children have that spirit for a while until we dampen that down, you know, and then they become less enthusiastic. They feel as if they're not talented enough, right? If they're not sporty, oh, I don't want to do that anymore because I'm not sporty enough. I'm not gonna be picked for the team. I'm not naturally talented or gifted. And we kind of engineer that desire out of many of our children, I feel. But it's easy for us to stoke and encourage that back, that enthusiasm, natural enthusiasm and instinct back. And that's what I do now. That's what I try to impart now with my work. Okay. So
0: play is primal. Animals play. Um, We don't think the animals play, but they do. They roughhouse and whatever. It serves a purpose. It bonds the animals together. And also it's a way for the small animals to learn important skills, right? Like how to protect themselves and whatnot. Mm. So besides play, your big advocate of what you call primal movements. And you mentioned some of them, like a bear crawl. What are some other examples of primal movements and what are the benefits of moving primally?
1: So, I mean, primal movements are really any universal movement pattern that we evolved to do. So when you think about our basic movement patterns, pushing, pulling, crawling, climbing, walking, running, sprinting, jumping, all of these movement patterns humans evolved to do. And so because of that, if we refrain from taking part in those activities, we start to atrophy. We lose the ability to perform those activities. And in doing so, we're physically less capable, less functional, less healthy as a result. So for me, primal movement is human movement, is moving like the animals we are, is moving in all types of directions, so not just forward, but forwards and back, left to right, with rotation in three dimensions, is navigating obstacles, so I like to climb, I like to jump, I like to lift, I like to carry, so all of these very functional movements, and it's really modeling what we would have to have done in terms of our evolution, our ancestry, Right, what our ancestors had to do just to survive... How can I model that today in the 21st century, right? What can I do that can mimic me lifting something and carrying it, right? So fortunately, there's a subsection of the exercise community who are gravitating to these primal movements, who are gravitating to these functional movements. So we have exercises like the farmers carry, right? So we're mimicking somebody carrying a couple of bales of hay, but we were carrying kettlebells you know, or heavy sandbags. And we're repeating these movement patterns because we want to build this functional strength. So these compound movements, much research tells us it's more effective than doing isolated movements for overall strength, for overall conditioning and changing intensities. So being very slow up to the most powerful and explosive movements gives us this movement repertoire, improves our our mobility and our flexibility, and just gives us the ability to be more functionally capable. So we can age independently, we can maintain our balance, we can maintain our bone health and strength, we can minimize bone mineral density loss, we can minimize the amount of muscle loss as we age by continuing to perform these movement patterns. Okay,
0: so, so things like crawling, could be one to do a bear crawl. A crab crawl yeah. is another one. You probably did that when you were a kid, but you can still do that when you're 40 years old. Nothing's stopping you from doing that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Nothing's stopping you from doing those. And the fantastic thing about exercise science or exercise physiology is we now have, you know, like 20 years ago, if you spoke about doing bear crawls, people would just say, it's just a, quite a difficult exercise, you know, difficult coordination. You know, it can take quite a bit out of your heart and lungs. It's all muscle group exercise that would be it. Now the science tells us it's a quadrupedal movement, which means we're walking using all four limbs. There's a significant coordination challenge, which means our brains are cognitively challenged. So this coordination actually improves our brain health significantly. It reduces the risk of cognitive decline, which means it reduces the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. So um, we have these brain factors, these growth factors like BDNF, brain derived neurotropic factor, which means we're actually growing new brain cells when we take part in these activities that we haven't done for either ever or for a good while. So since childhood. So the first time I tried a bear crawl, it was like the most awkward thing ever, (laughs) not having done it for like probably 30 years or so. But as soon as you start beginning kind of fluent in that movement ability and your brain adapts and this kind of plasticity of the brain changes the brain to be able to adapt the body and the mind to this movement pattern. You, you, you try other things, right? So you don't just stay doing the one thing and get better and better and better. You expand your repertoire to maintain this challenge, which isn't just a physical challenge, but also a cognitive one. And most importantly, it means by increasing the amount of activities you can participate in that also adds to the sustainability of moving more because there's always something else to do. And if you can bear crawl on the ground, then you're gonna start thinking, okay, can I do this up the stairs? Which again, kids would do. (laughs) Can I do this up the stairs? Can I do this backwards? Can I do this carrying my kids? (laughs) You know what I mean? So there's ways to kind of stack layers upon layers of more playful activity onto these primal movement patterns. Right, so like
0: another primal movement is balance. So you can find things you could, walk across like a balancing beam. But then as you said, you can layer that. It's like, well, can I bear crawl across this balance beam-like thing in my environment? Or can I yes. bear crawl backwards? And again, what you're doing is you're adding that play element. It's going to make it fun. And you can turn just movement into a fun activity. And people might be listening to this and thinking, well, you know, just is bear crawling a little bit every every day. Is that going to do anything for your physical health? And the research says, yeah, it, it is oh, going to yes. do. I think there's this idea that exercise or movement has to be hard and super strenuous all the time. You got to get really hot and sweaty all the time. There's a benefit to getting into that level of intensity. But yes. on a day-to-day basis, just these, this little simple movement you're going to get some benefits. It's going to help increase insulin sensitivity, which can help with prediabetes or diabetes. It's going to help with uh, strength and coordination. So don't discount this stuff, even though it it doesn't seem very hard.
1: Yeah. One of the most interesting things about an activity like a bear crawl, the amount of people who will say, they will look, they will spectate, and they'll go, (laughs) oh, that's really easy. It's easy until you try it. And I would say for anyone listening, if you think bear crawls are easy, you just go for a bear crawl for fifty meters. You know, you do a hundred yard bear crawl, and then you tell me how easy that activity is. You tell me if if your entire every nerve, fibre of your being is telling you, oh my goodness, what a challenge this is. So we have this rate of perceived exertion. So you, you have the ability to decide what is difficult at any point in time. So you can do a nice, slow, one, two meter bear crawl, right? I want to focus on my m- mobility. I want to feel as if all of my body's moving and it's, I'm nice and relaxed. I can focus on my breath, but you can also speed it up, right? <laughs> you can do really fast bear crawl for 10 seconds, for 15 seconds. You can go up the stairs and go down the stairs. So you have the dial that you control. And even that in itself is quite playful because kids, when they play, they're not always playing tag at full speed. There's going to be some kids who are taking a breath. There are going to be some kids who are happy that they're not the person chasing, right? (laughs) There are going to be some people who are going to stay out of the action because they, they have this inbuilt interval kind of training mentality, right? They know they can operate at nine, 10 out of 10 for a little while. Then they'll dial it down then they'll say, hey, let's have a little rest. (laughs) Then they go back at it again. And this is the rhythm and cycle of life when it comes to movement. And as you mentioned, people get very preoccupied with, I've just got to do all, you know, max intensity, or I've got to do everything chilled and and meditative and flow-based. But actually we want to do everything. We want to do a bit of everything and adapt it to your capability at that time. So even when I age, right, I'm not thinking, "Oh." When I was 20, when I was 30, I could do it better. What I'm thinking is I can do this now, <laughs> you know, and I can push to a hundred percent effort, wh- whatever stage I am in my health and fitness journey. So my hundred percent is my hundred percent and my hundred percent today may be different in 10 years time, but it will still be a hundred percent, right? You know what I mean? So, so I, I think that there is a lesson to be learned from finding this more playful, creative way, because you'll realize then that everything is going to be good about your movement practice. If you explore, if you're creative, if you involve others, if you're constantly chasing what's going to make me want to maintain this and sustain this, there you go. That's the answer. That's the secret, right? If you notice that you just want to prefer to stay in your armchair, <laughs> right? I don't really want to do this. I feel as if I have to do this. Then you know that's not the solution. That's not the answer. So if you feel good doing it, and feeling good doesn't mean it's always easy, right? Again, even with kids' child's play, they're doing activities sometimes that are outside of their comfort zone. They're not always picking the easiest option. They want to climb a bit higher. They want to balance on that railing for a little bit longer. They want to run a bit faster. You know, they want to be chased, they want to play hide and seek, and they want to risk assess, they want to conquer their fears. There were were all these different aspects of their emotional maturity and development that is embraced through play. And we have a lot to learn from our childhood experiences and ensuring that our kids today have some of that. Because many of our kids today, unfortunately, are are suffering because of play deprivation. Well, Daryl, this has been a great
0: conversation.
1: Where can people go to learn more about your work? Yeah, best place is primalplay.com. That's my website. You can find out more about what I do. You can find out about all the research in relation to play psychology. You can find out about the Primal Play Method, which is my program for primal, playful, and practical movement. I also host workshops, and you can follow me on social media for the latest evidence-based insights on movement and health. I suppose finally, if you like to read, I have two of my latest books. One is called Animal Moves, which is for adults. It's a 28 day movement program, which takes you through this kind of repertoire of movement, this kind of movement diet, taking you through all of the things that we should do by modeling the animal kingdom and like the animals we are. And I also have a children's picture book which encourages young children to focus less on screen time and being sedentary and focusing more on exploring the joys of movement. Fantastic. Well, Daryl Edwards, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Brett. It's been wonderful. Thank you.
0: My guest name is Daryl Edwards. He's the founder of Primal Play. You can find more information about his work at his website, primalplay.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash primalplay, where you can find links to resources and we delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Awin Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanlist.com where you find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on the podcast or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you to not listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action.